Welcome to Vicious Talk with Benny P. I'm your host, Ben Perez. Dive to bring back my good friend and co-host, Connor Larson. Welcome back, buddy. Hey, what's poppin'? Ready for some NFL Week 8 action, buddy? Oh, I can't wait. We are going to be diving into our preview for the NFL's Week 8 slate of games. Before we get into that, we're going to be doing our weekly segments, Vicious uh, vicious Players of the Week, You're Killing Me Smalls, some waiver wire stashes for fantasy football, Biggest movers and shakers for the NFL power rankings on allthingsanalysis.com. And then we'll dive into some, uh, a few of our favorite game picks and some DFS lineups. Sound good? Did I miss anything? No, I love it. All right, buddy. Let's dive into right away. Let's get into it. Vicious players of the week. Who is your favorite player uh, over the last week? Who was? Who are the players or player that you uh, you really want to highlight in this segment here? I think one unit that I want to highlight is the Tennessee Titans defense and holding the Kansas city chiefs to zero points score, just an incredible feat of dominance. You know, just, they absolutely smoked the chiefs and well, you got to give three, them but no, no touchdowns. <laughs> exactly. And when, when Patrick Mahomes doesn't throw a touchdown on you and it's basically a shutout, I mean, what a performance from what we thought was one of the worst defenses in the league and going against one of the best offenses in the league. I'm sure tons of people had Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey in their fantasy lineups and DFS lineups and really were let down. So Tennessee Titans D, shout out. Yeah, they the Titans have been excellent the last couple of weeks. It's so funny because they lost to the Jets not even, what, four weeks ago? So. They lost to like the worst team in the NFL. I mean, they lost to the worst team in the NFL, and they lo- they beat the best team in the NFL in the Buffalo Bills, and then they beat the AFC re- reigning champions, the Kansas City Chiefs, all in one month. A roller coaster of a month. Crazy. <laughs> it's and uh, that's what yeah, the NFL like season will do. Yeah, it's, the long it's season. That's what you need to remind it's, people. Uh, they are an incredibly unpredictable team. It's been crazy. Um, they're they're becoming a very public team. People are really hopping on that that Tennessee Titans bandwagon now, especially in gambling circles, because we've seen them upset two of the most popular teams in the NFL now. And Derrick Henry's and all the commercials and everything. Yeah. They're actually getting a lot of plays. Is a flashy team. They're fun to watch. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. All right. My vicious players of the week. I want to call it the NBA referees and, and the NBA for just implementing these new rules. I really like the way that the NBA has started out with, you know, the reduction of foul calls. I, I love watching those highlights of James Harden just trying to bait players into drawing fouls and it's just not working. It's like, dude, it's, it's years of vindication. It's been coming like, dude. The way that guy plays is just not – it's not fun. It's effective. It's really good. He's an awesome player, incredible player, one of the greatest of all time. Watch. I hate watching it. I can't stand watching it. I'm sorry. It's not my brand of basketball. I want to see games go up and down. I want to see I want to see reduction of foul calls, and that's what these new rules have accomplished. I really like to see what has been going on. And the the funny the funny this the funniest highlight that we've seen so far was that Patrick Beverly, he gets the ball um on the outlet pass and going up the court. Or I think it was actually rebounded a long rebound. He starts dribbling up the court and just kind of crouches in front of uh, Giannis's brother Danassus, I think is his name, yeah. uh, Antetokounmpo. He kind of gets like like chop blocks him. He just he takes his legs out and he, they call the offensive foul on, on Beverly. He's like initially he was kind of like gonna complain it, but then he was just like, oh, you know what? That's a good call. And he like put his thumbs up to the referee. Like, yeah, I forgot about that. My bad. Like, and it, it's funny. Like these these players are gonna have an adjustment period. We've seen some of them kind of push back on the way that these uh, new rules have been officiated, but you know the referees have been doing a really good job 
setting the early precedent on what they're going to be looking for um, and what they're not going to be looking for for foul calls this year. And so I've, I've really enjoyed it. I think it's making the the brand of basketball better. Um, and I told Connor before we started recording, it's kind of like the NBA in one foul swoop, one, one rule change has accomplished what Major League Baseball, honestly, has been trying to accomplish for years now with the quickening and the, the streamlined pace of play. Because baseball is trying to do all these different things to try to streamline and, and quicken their pace of play, yet their games are longer, going longer than ever. They're averaging like four-hour games at times. The World Series has been incredibly boring and incredibly long games, slow-paced and NBA makes one one rule change, one adjustment to their rules, and they have quickened the pace of play, streamlined the smoothness, just the feel of the game is less choppy. Um, and you got to give credit to the league and the adjustment from the owners and the players. And they, this was all agreed upon, you know, by everybody in the league. And a lot of the coaches were on that the the um, you know the commission to try to get that those new rules implemented. And it's been. A success so far, I gotta say, and so that's my vicious player players of the week. Yeah, anytime you can just remove stoppage of play, increase, you know, just the players playing, you know, the game the way it should be played, rather than having refs have a large impact, it's just a lot more fun just to see these guys go out and play. So that, I'm Definitely. all here for it. I, I love it. Great pick. Hundred percent. All right. Shout out to also the Cincinnati Bengals. They've been really hot on the football. They were a candidate here for this segment. Also, I kind of like. I wanted to figure out an angle to like throw, throw in the Detroit Lions in this. I know they lost their 0-6 to start the season or 0-7 to start the season now. But did you see in the first quarter they had the fake punt, the onside oh, kick? Yeah. Like they're they're double double digit underdogs against the Rams last week. And they just laid it out on the line. They don't they don't care, man. They're going after that first win of the season. Good for them. I just they, they I, played I gutsy and it. it was close. They they pushed the limit there. You know, Dan yeah. Campbell's put trying to get that team a win for sure. That team's really backing him. It's it's fun to watch. Yeah, that was a fun, you know, first half of the game and really just came down to the Rams are the better team. So, yeah, but good for the Lions trying trying all the things they can. All right. Next segment, we're going to go to the other end of the spectrum here. Killing me, Smalls. You know, the, the player players are people that have been really struggling this week, getting drugged through the mud. And it seems like we have a lot of candidates for this segment this week. We definitely uh, had an easier time, or at least I did, have, have had an easier time coming up with you're killing me, Smalls candidates than Vicious Players of the Week, unfortunately. And it, I don't, I don't want to be negative about it. I don't want to be a negative Nancy, but there were a lot of, of storylines and people that – were prime candidates for this segment. Who are you starting off with, Connor? Well, based on starting with the Tennessee Titans, I think it naturally makes sense to start with the Kansas City Chiefs. But I actually want to go at the sports news media and everybody overhyping the Kansas City Chiefs' slow start okay. to the season. So they're okay. the ones who are killing me. They're already telling me the franchise is over. Patrick Mahomes' career is done. The Chiefs need to find new players. Travis Kelsey's washed up. Tyree Kill's always injured. Calm down, guys. It's a long season like we just talked about with the Tennessee Titans up and downs. The Kansas City Chiefs are one of the most skilled teams in the league. They've basically gone to the Super Bowl three years in a row at this point. They have an MVP caliber quarterback, and he's still top 10 in MVP voting at this point if you look at the best odds and that's because he's a fantastic player they can write the ship they have all of the pieces and so i want to blame the news media for already saying that it's over the franchise is done this team is screwed they're the yeah. ones who are killing me i think there's a, a delicate balance to this with the chiefs and the only team that we could 
properly actually compare them to, and the, the Chiefs are a, a definitely a lighter version of this, at least for now, is the Patriots. The Patriots sustain, sustained two decades of uh, excellent top tier success in the NFL, which is historically not an easy thing to do. It, it was unprecedented. It was the first time it had ever been done, at least that that amount of sustained excellence in this league. The Chiefs, when you compare them to them, this might be one of the years that, you know, the Patriots weren't always the best team in the NFL throughout that decade. We, you, in, in retrospect, you know, in hindsight, revisionist history, the Patriots had some down years throughout those couple decades. They didn't, you know, their down years were still playoff years and they were still one of the better teams in the NFL. But there were years that they didn't really feel like proper or, or top tier Super Bowl contenders. And this just might be one of those years for the Chiefs. I, I still think that you're right in the sense that the complete shift in mentality of this team, like this team is not a bottom tier team. They're still above average. They're still a decent team. They're an offense that knows how to move the football. And when Mahomes is right, he's he he's gonna play, he's gonna be playing better, especially with you know, kind of reminds me of when Mahomes was in college and playing at Texas Tech because he talked about how one of his biggest knocks coming into the draft, coming out of college, was he took too many he took too many risks as a quarterback in college. He made too many dump throws, had some dump uh, turnovers, made a lot of careless errors, and it seemed that way. But when he talked about it, he was like, you know, my defense was giving up forty to fifty points a game. I had to take risks. I had to try those hey. things. And that's a little bit of what we're seeing here in this season with the Chiefs. This defense, mm-hmm. you have he has no faith in his defense's ability to hold hold opposing offenses to fewer than 30 points or so. So Mahomes every week has to go out there and say to his offense, we got to score 30 to 40 to 50 points. You score on every drive. And you can see that's the mentality. He's not giving up on third and long when he's getting tackled. Yeah. He's still throwing the balls up for grabs and it's dangerous. And that's why this team leads the league in interceptions. They're, they're pushing yeah. on offense and they're forcing things that aren't there. Yeah. And Patrick Mahomes so, isn't playing the way he has played the past couple of years, especially last year when totally. that defense was a top 10 unit, at least through the air. You know, they were a good defense. Tyron Matthew was playing a lot better. I don't know what's gone down the hill this year, whether it's the fact that they're not creating pressure, but the other teams are scoring all the time. And it wasn't Derrick Henry last game that tore him up either. He, he ran maybe yeah. 30 times for 90 yards. It was a solid um, uh, defensive game on the ground from the Chiefs. I was impressed by how they kept Henry in check. There wasn't that huge 70 yard Henry run that we've been seeing in almost every other game. Don't touch that pass. Though. That he threw cool. one. That, that's always fun. But you know, defenses get, get caught off guard. If you're going to run the ball with Derek Henry and he pulls up and tosses a pass, I'm not going to be mad if you don't yeah, have that right, one like, covered because right, you beat us <laughs> when the ball's in his hands, everybody has to converge to yeah. gang tackle Derek Henry because he's literally the yeah. most untackleable player in the league. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to blame him for being caught off guard there, but totally. it's the, it's the issue through the air and you know, they're not it's it's the pace of play it's it, this offense turning the ball over too much putting too much yeah. on the defense and the defense clearly is doing the same thing with the offense of putting pressure on each other um yeah. either by field position by pace of play you know they don't have their lead running back so they're not running the ball particularly effectively at this point so i think yeah. they get it right I though think- andy Reid's a good enough coach he's a hall of fame coach people yeah. are saying he should retire people are saying the dynasty's over bill simmons says yeah. they're done for the playoffs this year <laughs> i'm like everyone's got to relax I, I had to turn espn off you know i had to i just skipped the pod <laughs> yeah the i think um a couple things that i've kind of snoped the i think they're root of their problem or at least like the first thing that kind of was this the first snowflake to start this avalanche of, of problems for the chiefs is 
I think there's two things I point to, you know, the defense, obviously, you know, if you have a bad defense, the defense of this poor of a caliber, it, it ends up resulting in some larger problems. And we already talked about that. Um, I think another problem that maybe might be a knock to Andy Reid is, you know, we saw in Philadelphia when his son passed away, that was kind of the 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 first straw that broke the camel's back in, in his tenure in Philadelphia that really he he really uh, struggled to perform or help his teams perform at the highest level after that had happened. We saw last year, right before the Super Bowl, his son had the DUI problem. He has a drug problem, I think. And you have to wonder how that's kind of affecting him personally. You know, you, I've seen this talked about already in the media a few times, and you don't really want to ac- accuse somebody of um, any sort of like personal mental health problems um, unless you're, you know, for certain that he, they, they're open about it. And I just think that's a possibility. You know, there's a possibility that maybe Andy Reid's heart's not in it this season. Um, And that's not to say he's a bad coach. I think he's one of the greatest coaches of all time. But you have to wonder if that's, you know, at least contributing to the problems here for Kansas City this year. This might just be one of the seasons, like I said, they just don't have it this year, maybe. Well, look who's at the top of the league. It's it's the hotshot young guns. It's Cliff Kingsbury. It's Sean McVay. You know, these guys Zach, are the ones, Zach, Zach Taylor. Taylor, right? Right. Someone it's who young, I hated coming into the year. The the old guard of Bill Belichick and Andy Reid, Mike Tomlin, yeah. they're not at the top of the league anymore. You know, it's interesting to see who's who's leading the league right now, Ben. What do you, what do you think about that? I mean, it, it does provide some credence and some evidence to the fact that maybe yeah. coaching is a young man's game at this point. You need to be innovative in your offensive yeah, strategy and defensive strategy to be competitive in this type of NFL. Yeah, definitely an interesting idea. Um, possibly something that we see continue to trend going forward. I wonder right. if there's a correlation between winning percentage and coach's <laughs> age. It, 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 I'm going to look at it after we get All off right. this pod. That's a fun one. All right. Definitely. I like that. That's interesting. Uh, my, my You're Killing Me Smalls player, or actually this is just kind of a, 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 a thing. This is not really a person. It's it's the Atlanta Braves in the have made the World Series this year. Um, the first they're looking for their first World Series win since 1999. So it's been a while for them. Uh, a really storied franchise, a team that has had a lot of success in Atlanta. My you're killing me, Smalls portion of the Braves that I want to call out is this this cheer that they have at, at Atlanta Braves Stadium, the the, the truest uh, Truett Park. I think it's called their their home field. The chop, this 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 Native American chant that they have at, at at home games for the Atlanta Braves. I think it is the most racist, publicly sanctioned thing in sports today. I think it's it's absolutely racist, and it's un it's it's just no place for this in in the sport. And I think it's terrible that they continue to to keep it going. And just to give you a little bit like a historical background on this, like just the Native American influence in Georgia. Did you know that like, you know, we all, we all know about the trail of tears and like, you know, you, you hear about, you heard about how the American government sanctioned the movement of thousands of Native Americans on a 1200 mile march, um, to, you know, to put them into lands you know, in the middle of the country, like Oklahoma and, and the areas around there. Um, to move their tribes, basically. But, you know, the Trail of Tears originated in Georgia back in the early 1830s. The Muscogee uh, Creek tribe, they were moved from land owned by uh, owned in Georgia by the U.S. government. And then in 1838, the Cherokee tribe was forced by the government to go on the Trail of Tears march, 1,200-mile march from Georgia to uh, the Oklahoma area, more or less, middle of the country. Thousands of Native Americans died along the way. It was a terrible blemish on native american history 
um, and sanctioned by the U.S. government. And today, because of the result of all this negative um, impact the government had on Native Americans in this region, there are zero federally recognized tribes in Georgia. They have no Native American tribes in Georgia, yet their team is called the Braves. And they have this racist Native American chant that makes them sound. And, you know, you, you hear you hear Native Americans talk about how it's made them feel like it kind of portrays a Native American as, you know, um, animalistic and, and barbaric and, and yet it's somewhat violent. And it's not the look that they want to present themselves as it's it's, you know, racist American policies have completely eradicated Native Americans from that region of the country. So mm-hmm. if anything. You know, this region of Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia, has no right to try to link themselves to Native American culture. They have no Not right. Not by any positive context, at least. They're 100%. certainly linked with Native American history, but not in a good way. And not one that not should be way. celebrated with a baseball team name. 100%. And the Braves actually, you know, the the name of the team, it's not even like a Native American influence, really. The Braves originated in Boston. The name did. They were the Boston Braves. And the name came from their owner, James Gaffney, was at the, at, at the time. He was a member of the New York City political, political machine named Tam, uh, Tammany Hall. And uh, the Tammany Hall uh, symbol was an Indian chief, and they were called the Braves. And so it's not even like a, it's not even a Native American influence. It was a political thing. And now they moved from Boston. I think they moved to Milwaukee briefly. I think it was Milwaukee, then Boston. And then now they're in Atlanta. And um, really, it's just like there's no Native American ties to this this team, this organization. And yet they have this most racist cheer and it's and i hate to say it, it's actually kind of catchy you hear you hear them chant at the game you're like you kind of want to join in because it feels good to like it's just like it, it's kind of nice to, to to make the noise but it's like it's terrible it's so it's so barbaric and it's like i think it's the most racist thing in sports today i do it's terrible mm-hmm. i think it, it's it's, it, it's definitely my prime candidate here for the you're killing me small segment i like it all right one thing, one last for Kill Me Smalls. I know I talked, I, I, we've been dragging this on. I hate to be so negative about it, but wanted to also point out this storyline with the Chicago Blackhawks, the hockey team in Chicago. Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane, the, the two veteran captains for Chicago, um, spoke out this week about, you know, trying to defend their organization for what's been going on with them. If you haven't heard, you know, former player, first round draft pick by the Blackhawks back in 2008. He was 11th overall pick from the, for the Blackhawks. He uh, submitted a sexual assault claim back in 2010 against the team's former video coach, Brad Aldrich. He uh, apparently got two members of the team drunk, including Beach, um, and tried to perform oral sex on them. And in 2013, this, uh, well, before I jump to 2013, the the former video coach, Aldrich, um, stayed with the team throughout the season. They won the Stanley Cup. They swept everything under the rug to try to hide it. Yeah, because there were like to, videos to place, of them still holding yeah. up the Stanley Cup. <laughs> they, they placed primary importance on the on-ice performance and um, really just divided the organization um, and ended up, you know, getting a, a tainted uh, Stanley Cup victory. And then I think Aldrich left after that season. Uh, didn't really explain why he had, they forced him to leave. But, you know, I think obviously we all knew. And he gets a job as a volunteer head coach at a high school team in in, uh, Michigan. Aldrich, in 2013, he was serving as this assistant head coach for the Michigan high school team. He pleaded guilty to charges of criminal sexual conduct with a teenager and was sentenced to nine months in, in, in Michigan County prison. And now he is, uh, the, the high school that, um, 
that Brad Aldrich was was coaching at, volunteer coaching at, is suing the Blackhawks for failure failure to disclose this information of the of the sexual assault case right. because they gave they gave Aldrich they gave him uh, recommendations they gave him positive reviews and references and they to failed work to at disclose a high this school and, where like yeah. are you kidding me these freaking children terrible. have no like defenses against an older adult yeah <laughs> that's it's, horrible. it's it's terrible and so Chicago executives they've uh, a lot of them have since been let go or just forced to move on and resign um stan bowman and al mcisaac um were the primary ones in this specific storyline where jonathan taves and patrick kane spoke out defending the 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 former chicago executives saying that they personally you know appreciated everything they did and and, and valued their their personal relationships but um these executives played critical roles in just sweeping this whole sexual assault scandal under the rug terribly managed uh, a, a really terrible black mark on uh, a a Chicago hockey team that has, you know, one of the biggest fan bases in the sport. And um, just a really disgusting storyline. And I thought it was a worthy candidate of, you know, you're killing me, Smalls segment. Oh, killing me big time, Smalls. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, uh, it's kind of a disgusting storyline, but something that I thought was a worthy, worthy candidate. All right, Connor. Let's move into some uh, some new segments here. Let's go to the waiver wire stashes of the week in fantasy football. Who are uh, uh, any players that you're considering? You know, throwing on to the back end of your rosters. Find a couple of bench spots for your teams to try to stash them before they hit waiver columns next week. Waiver wire columns next week. Yeah, the, there were a couple of names that cropped up that I was a, a little bit surprised to see. Um, I want to highlight a couple of giants. They might might be on your way wire. They might not be. I was able to pick them up off of free agencies. Darius Slayton and Evan Ingram. I mean, that offense is horribly injured. Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard still dealing with nagging injury. Same thing with Kadarius Tony. So these guys are going to be out there on the field. Evan Ingram, you know, he seems to always get a target share in these situations and doesn't really seem to put up a fantasy performance. So he's a guy that I would look at only in PPR because he's probably going to edge out somewhere between four and six catches, but don't be shocked if it ends up for only like 35 yards. Um, So he's only a desperation play. I like Darius Slayton more. uh, If you have to fire somebody up and you need a last minute start with, for someone who's probably on your free agency. Yeah. I actually dropped Evan Ingram a couple of weeks ago. Um, just because I got tired of waiting for the, the the talent and and the ability has always been there, but I got tired of waiting for it to come. I just um, I think that there are I think the, the Slayton pickup, the Slayton recommendation is definitely higher on my list of value than and Evan Ingram. Um, I just I, I just think that guy's going to be way too up and down the rest of the year. Even it, even if he does have big weeks, there are going to be sandwiched between a couple bad weeks. So Agreed. you're going to be you're going to be rolling the dice every week in and week out if you. Uh, relying on on ingram the rest of the way at tight end 100%. the guys that i wanted to highlight they've actually been snapped up in a lot of uh you know leagues throughout the week with the news of uh austin eckler getting the, developing a hip injury uh he was questionable going into this this sunday matchup against the new england patriots uh backups joshua kelly and justin jackson i i think kelly is definitely the primary guy i'm looking at here um and it seems like a lot of people in the fantasy community aren't really sure i'm sure it's i think it's joshua kelly is the target 
Um, Kelly last week got 32, 32% of the snaps. Well, not last week. They had a buy last week, two weeks ago, week six. He got 32% of the snaps. Jackson got 14. Kelly got 36% of the rush attempts behind Eckler. Jackson got 0% of the rush attempts. Jackson would see a good amount of work if Eckler misses time uh, because he's a veteran. The Chargers trust him. He's been in the system for a while. I'm sure he knows how to pass block well. I know he would have a decent amount of the workload, but all the upside is with Joshua Kelly. Kelly has easily the most upside of the bunch there. I don't think Larry Roundtree is somebody on my radar, even if Eckler were to miss time. Um, I think Joshua Kelly is definitely the guy to target here if you are looking for a handcuff to Austin Eckler, who has developed a hip injury that, you know, that's never a... A positive sign because that's something that could linger for a good amount of time here um, the rest of the way of this season. So Eckler has been an absolute stud. I think he's second in fantasy points per game out of running backs this year. So if you have him, you value him heavily on your fantasy rosters. I would not hesitate to go out and try to grab a guy like Joshua Kelly to handcuff him. Yeah, I, I like that play. Kelly was a guy who got a lot of run last year. He didn't quite um, have the fantasy production given the opportunities when when presented. But as a first-year player, a lot of these guys don't necessarily perform right away on the field. Sometimes it's a year two breakout. You know, think of Melvin Gordon. It took him a year in that same situation on, on the Chargers. So maybe yeah. a year two for Joshua Kelly. If he gets some run, definitely could see an improvement. Obviously, the team has been liking what they see considering he's moving up the depth chart. So very good to see. All right, buddy. Who's your next guy? Uh, the next guy for me, and you know, he, he probably won't be on your free agency list, but somebody whose ownership coming into the season was close to a hundred percent and has dipped down into the mid sixties is Robbie Anderson. Um, this is one I actually stumbled in one of my three leagues. Uh, he was on the free agency list and somebody I, I don't think is worth giving up on yet if he's on your roster. So if you're thinking about cutting him, I would suggest holding on. And I would also suggest just peeking on your free agency list. He might be there if an owner got dissatisfied at this point, but I want to highlight his <laughs> target totals the last four games, 11, seven, 11, and nine. This guy is highly involved, highly targeted. The production has yet to be there. Sam Darnold and him have not clicked the way Sam Darnold and DJ Moore have, but if that connection improves and they start hitting at better than like the 30 to 50% catch rate that he's seeing in most games and he jumps that up, I think that with that target share, he could definitely produce some better on that volume. So uh, you know, his high of the season is only 57 yards. Uh, I, I think that there's a, definitely a lot of potential uh, in the rest of the season for Robbie Anderson for a very low cost. <laughs> You're picking guys that I actually just dropped in the last couple of weeks. I uh, I used Anderson <laughs> as a desperation play a couple of weeks ago. I think maybe last week even um, with the buy. I think I needed a wide receiver and I threw him in. Uh, and he, had, he had like two and a half points and I, I, um, I, I'm not as high on Anderson as you are. I think that um, he is a guy that I would expect to um, actually see a decrease in target share in very soon. McCaffrey's right. coming back well, um, in the next week or two. One so of two actually, things I'm is going to happen on right, the with, with their efficiency. Either he increases his catch rate or eventually they're going to decrease the target share because they're not yeah. going to continue going three for nine, three for 11. But they, the, the money is there with Robbie Anderson. The, in the offseason, they signed him to like a $29 million extension. They like this guy. There's a reason they kept him around. They brought Sam Darnold in because they thought they those two would have a connection together. So well, I, I don't think they're ready to give up on his chance just yet and all that money. Yeah, well... I mean, one part of the problem here, too, is Sam Darnold, who's looked terrible the last few yes, weeks. past few he weeks, he's not throwing the ball well. 
on the season now, he has the fourth worst expected completion percentage over actual. Um, <laughs> oh, actual completion percent over expected. Uh, negative four completion percentage. He's behind, you know, just Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, and Jameis Winston. So he's been incredibly uh, inaccurate with the football. Um, you know, I wouldn't actually necessarily expect a big bump in catchable ball rates going to Robbie Anderson. So I know I, I, I challenge you there a little bit, but I think that's not a bad play just for the upside of Anderson. If he's if you have an available roster spot, he's not a terrible stash because he has had some games where he scores, you know, as a wide receiver one wide receiver two um, upside. But because of the, you know, the deep ball is there. Um, that's that's always going to be in the back pocket of a possibility. But I'm just not really high on Darnold on the Carolina Panthers passing offense, aside from DJ Moore. Um, and especially with McCaffrey looming in the background very soon coming back. Um, I just don't really see the rest of the season upside with a guy like Anderson as much as you do. All right. I'm going to go with my next guy, Jamichael Hasty, backup running back for the San Francisco 49ers. I really like Hasty coming into this week. He saw his, he, he came back off the IR last week. And we saw him come back to a 34% of the snap share at the running back position. He, he, saw, he saw 13% of rush attempts. He, he's, um, he sent rookie running back Trey Sermon to the bench. Sermon saw no action last week. And Hasty is the handcuff to own in San Francisco. San Francisco's offense ranks 12th in rest DVOA. away. They're 11th in running back success rate. Their offense is not, their offensive line is ninth in adjusted line yards. If, um, you know, Elijah Mitchell goes down with another injury. He already had one earlier this year. Hasty is definitely going to have some value. We saw him hop into a week or two of starting running back role last year, and he he played in well. He filled in well. So I think if Hasty gets a start or two this year, he's definitely going to be in the in the running back two conversation if and when he does. I would not forget about also we continue to mention Jeff Wilson Jr. in that backfield. He's uh, eligible possibly to come back in a couple weeks. I think he's eligible to come back next week, but I think they're hopeful for him to come back maybe two to three weeks. Yeah, they pushed the timeline um, back on his injury a little bit. Didn't yeah, seem like he was he, progressing as, as well as they had hoped. Yeah, he's more or less a, a, a deep stash at this point if you have room for him. I, I go uh, tip my cap to you. But um, he's it, at this point, he's missed so much time, it's tough to try to hold him much longer. Um but I do like the upside when he comes back. I would keep an eye on that injury because if he's available, I would try to grab him maybe a week before he comes back in hopes of, you know, gain a, a good running back value in San Francisco's backfield. Yeah, the the latest news is that he could see the practice field next week as of three yeah. days ago. So maybe he's back for week nine. Um, not somebody right yet, but I would expect probably week 10 is a target date. But that San Francisco backfield, they can produce. So if you're able to get the, the lead guy in a Shanahan system, the goal line back, there's definitely a lot of uh, a lot of points to be shared. Definitely. All right. You have any other stashes for the week? No, I was actually going to bring up Jeff Wilson as my last guy just to bring him up again since it's been a few weeks and that timeline got pushed back. But you also have Marlon Mack on there. Um, you know, a candidate say for trade. Him. Yeah, just he trade could. deadline's Tuesday. So yeah. keep an eye on Mack. If if you have room for him, throw him on your roster because he if, if he gets traded, he's, it's going to be, be it's going to be it's going to be before the waivers roll for next week. So mm. he'll if he gets traded to a team with a roll, you know, he's going to be primary target on waiver wires next week. 
And if he doesn't get traded after this week, you just cut him, you know, because you have that clarity. So it's a one week chance play. It's a lottery ticket, but maybe he ends up on a team that desperately needs somebody to get 12 to 15 touches. So always a chance and and running back depth is so shallow that it might be worth it. If you have room on your roster, but obviously don't, don't drop somebody like Robbie Anderson to, to pick him up. (laughs) <laughs> all right my last dash is the pittsburgh steelers defense they have cleveland this week not necessarily a great matchup but if you have room for the steelers though i would add them quickly before this week's sled games they got the next two weeks they got chicago and detroit as their next two opponents two really good defensive matchups for fantasy defense um steelers defense i i went and grabbed them for this week i'm putting them on my, in my bench and i'm expecting to start them the next two weeks after this one What's the um, latest news on uh, Baker's shoulder? He's expected to play is the last thing I heard. Um, obviously not necessarily um, going to be 100%, but it's his off, right. off throwing shoulder. So we'll see how that affects him. I'm not necessarily banking on them. Have the Steelers you know, completely shutting down the Browns, especially because the Browns strength is like Nick Chubb and, and you know, short passes and Dearness Johnson, who we've mentioned on this podcast before. He could be the vicious um, player of the week, man. That that guy went off on last Thursday night. Yeah, he did. He did. Um, all right, Connor, who are the biggest movers and shakers for all things analysis fan, uh, power rankings heading into week eight? Well, believe it or not, it was actually the Chiefs and Niners moving down for us. We were the biggest moves. Not really a leap in any of our rankings this time around. Um yeah, while the Chiefs did drop for us, it wasn't, you know, the bottom half of the league. They're still sitting at number 12 overall. Uh, so nothing too crazy there, but they did drop four spots. And then the 49ers dropped six spots for us. Yeah. Um, I think that's a little bit based on both of us not having very much confidence that Shanahan can get it done with this larger sample size. He seemed to have the one year of success where they made it to the Super Bowl. But outside of that, his his win-loss record is not very great. Um, and we're yeah. seeing it this 31. season – they're very inconsistent. They haven't had success with Garoppolo or with Lance. They both had chances to start. Lance looks like a guy who's kind of two years away. So even if he takes over the starting role, we just don't think it's going to necessarily have an impact this year yet. Yeah. The, the, Shanahan is 31 and 39 as the head coach in the regular season for the 49ers. So not a, not a good sample size of um, games. I mean, at, at some point you got to, you got to say like, I know they had a lot of injuries last year. I know they've had some bad luck and in, in, during his tenure, but at some point it's like, you know, that's a bad, that's a very bad win percentage. 443 is the win percentage um, with Shanahan. There are, there are a lot of worse head coaches that are, con- uh, you know, publicly considered worse head coaches than Shanahan who have better win percentage records in the regular season than that. So it's funny the the Bill Simmons podcast this week was talking. Uh, Bill Simmons was talking to Cousin Sal like, let me list you court, uh, coaches who may or may not. You tell me if they have a better win record than, than Kyle Shanahan. And mm-hmm. you, 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 some of the names he was throwing out were surprising. I was like, really? So um, bad look for the Niners. Shanahan was probably the um, the most drug through the mud in the NFL storylines this week, and you know the, he really got bashed in a lot of different ways after the loss last week to the Colts and the way that this season has gone for them, it's been disappointing. Mm-hmm. Um, the other team that we ended up kind of boosting up was the Raiders. I think I, I, I had that 15th in my power rankings. You have them at 19th. So you're a little bit less high on them, but um, I think we overreacted a little bit to the John Gruden drama. The fact is, you know, this team started off hot. They're still a, a decent team. The defense has been surprisingly decent this year. Um, I think they're an above average defense in DVOA rankings. 
And Max Crosby is a candidate for defensive player of the year. He's probably top five at this point. And um, Derek Carr has been, you know, a little bit of an up and down season, but he mo- more ups than downs. And we saw last week they carved up Philadelphia's pass defense that I thought Philadelphia, Philadelphia was one of my best bets of the week last week. And they really disappointed me. And a lot of that was just from the good play of the Las Vegas Raiders. So, um, I think I, I overacted to the initial news with Gruden. I thought that was going to have a bigger negative impact on them, but it's a little bit of a Ewing three with them. They're really starting to, you know, th- jive and thrive without, you know, the toxic culture that Gruden was implementing there in Vegas. So um, they were they were boosted up six spots in our power rankings from last week. Yeah, and I think that's just more of a reflection, not that we think the team is six spots better all of a sudden, but probably on us for overreacting to the Gruden firing for the most part yeah. makes up most of that variance. Additionally, yeah. some other risers, the Indianapolis Colts move up four spots. The Pats move up three after they absolutely destroyed the Jets. Falcons up three Bengals up two as Joe Burrow continues to play like an MVP caliber quarterback this season. The Vikings move up a couple and the Giants after a gutsy performance against the Panthers, my New York Giants move up two spots as well. So the Colts plus four Carson Wentz is actually playing pretty well. He's not turning the ball over very much. And Jonathan Taylor is second in the league in rushing yards at this point. He's going to grab head to head against Derrick Henry. So these are two teams that are really hot running the ball. I I'm, I'm excited for Jonathan Taylor. He's finally starting to show some of that pop and, and the Colts definitely have looked impressive as they slide up our power rankings. Definitely. And that was, those were our biggest movers and shakers, a segment brought to you by Shakey's Pizza. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's good though. I like that. We got to find like some, some sponsor with Shake in the name. Yeah. Brought to you by um, Shakira, shaking them hips. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Connor, let's dive into some of our favorite games of the week eight slate. Um, we got our first game on the docket. I want to talk about, we already talked about the Titans and Colts a good amount on this podcast. And let's highlight their game first here. The, the AFC showdown. It's going to be a good game, obviously a good matchup. These teams have similar strengths and weaknesses. Um, but, you know, this is highlighted a game highlighted by two rushing attacks with two of the top running backs, if not the two top running backs in football right now. John, uh, Derrick Henry and Jonathan Taylor coming to this game incredibly hot on the season right now. Henry is on pace to shatter a good amount of rushing records on the season, especially with that extra 17th game. And neither defense really seems heavily equipped to slow down the other this week. Um, you know, the Colts do rank first and rush GV away. But, you know, the superhuman Derrick Henry we saw last week. He was stifled a little bit in the rushing game against the Chiefs, but he still was able to throw a touchdown pass, and he played a critical role in opening up the play-action pass attack for the Titans last week. So even when Derrick Henry isn't dominating the football game traditionally in the way that a running back can, in the way that he can running the football, he still plays a major impact on games, and he will most likely in this one heading into the AFC showdown here between the Titans and Colts. What are your thoughts with this one, Connor? 869 rushing yards from Derrick Henry. I think he's got a few hundred more than Jonathan Taylor. And we're only mid-season. So it's the type of like lead you would expect to see at the end of the season from a rushing yard leader. Um, Derrick Henry's on pace to shatter records this season. And, you know, everybody who bought into uh, Nico's recommendation for the card to pick up a Derrick Henry rookie yeah. is, is sitting pretty Shout in their investment. Shout out Sports Cards. 
Yeah, dude. Big Victoria, shout out. Texas. <laughs> <laughs> nice plug, Dan. I like that. Got to keep our friends happy for sure. Um, but yeah, Derek Henry's going to run all over the Colts. The Colts defense has not been that impressive to me. Um, you know, AJ Brown has finally started to step up. Ryan Tannehill looked great last week, uh, especially in the first half. So if they're able to get multiple pieces of this offensive moving, then I think Derek Henry is still going to get his no matter what. Um, this is going to be a really fun game. And I'm, I'm having a tough time picking this one because I have like the uh, improvement from Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman as the games have moved on, similar to the improvement uh, we've seen from AJ Brown uh, last couple of weeks. Yeah. What did I originally put then? Did I did I go with the Colts in this one? Because I you want the Titans. Okay, I was gonna say I feel like I was I was wavering and I feel like I want to be on the Titans. Yeah, this is a very back and forth game, and the spread has been bet. You know, I think it opened up at Colts minus one, and it's been bet down to Colts minus three now, and that three is a key number for me, which ended up me result resulting in me taking the Titans plus three. Uh, But like you said, this is a really back and forth game, and and um it, it really it's it's a story of two sides in terms of a gambling perspective one side you know the public is heavily on the tennessee titans i think they're like 57 to 60 percent of the public bets have been placed on the tennessee titans um but the line movement would, would suggest that the sharp money is on the colts and the most important weights of the of the gambling perspective the gambling rings have been on the colts and the sharp side is Indianapolis. And I've heard a lot of sharp football handicappers place the Colts as one of the better bets of the week. And it makes sense. You know, Tennessee coming off of the two wins against Buffalo and Kansas City, two of the most publicly popular teams in the NFL. They come off those two big games and they're going to be publicly publicly perceived most likely as a better team than they might be. They lost against the Jets this year already. We saw that they're capable of laying an egg on on the season. And they're not going to have Julio Jones in this game. Um, so Julio, while he hasn't been particularly efficient when he's on the field, he does he does gain respect, and secondaries have to respect his abilities, and so that does spread the defense sec- defensive secondary a little bit thinner with him on the field than without. So that's something to be a little bit wary about with Tennessee. I I, I weigh back and forth on this one. I think the Colts' defensive weakness is certainly their secondary. I'm not, I'm not breaking, I'm not like breaking any hot news there. They rank 22nd in pass DVOA, and like I already said, they're first in rush DVOA. So their secondary is definitely the weakness there. The pass rush continues to struggle for Indianapolis. They, their pressure rate, um, I think, is like dead last in the NFL. Tannehill does struggle under pressure, but are they going to be able to get it to him? I don't think so. And it could result in some crooked numbers for A.J. Brown. His receiving yardage total is currently 73 and a half on Fandle. I would really like the over on that. Both these teams over the last six games in their last six games are five and one against the spread. So they both come in hot in this matchup. There's not really a competitive advantage one way or the other. With the Colts getting three points at home, you know, we... we there was a good article uh, on on Action Network earlier this week. They noted that the underdog road teams that have been um, receiving a line of less than one score, so less than seven points, underdog road teams have been covering against the spread this year 71% of the time. They're 30 and 12. I thought that was a very significant stat, and the Tennessee Titans fit that bill this week. Like I said, a lot of sharp football handicappers on the Colts, but... I think that the Titans are better equipped to capitalize on the Indianapolis Colts' weaknesses. I take the Titans and the points. Yeah, I think we're seeing this game similarly. <laughs> yeah, it's a great matchup, though. I think there's some more uh, opportunity in the props and possibly um, the over on the points than um, 
than you know betting one side or the other because i don't like the fact that this got bet down to three because really the value was at the colts minus one probably mm-hmm. um and now the fact that it's a field goal game it's gonna be it, it it could very well end up being a one to two point game here um and i i think that you know you got the titans are too good of a team to be forfeiting the, the full field goal on the road against a team that they already dominated earlier this year yeah, and I think it's important just to remember that matchup and how well the Titans look compared to the Colts. And you know, I think that has to play a little bit into how we see this game, obviously. Yeah. Jonathan Taylor, keep an eye on him, though. 100-plus yards in three of his last four games, and the one game that in those four that he did not reach a century mark rushing, he had 116 receiving yards. He's been awesome on the other side of the football. Derrick Henry's been getting all the headlines, but Taylor's been secretly one of the best running backs in the NFL. So, yeah, and he's a more, more dynamic pass catcher. So a lot of his damage is through the air, too. So if you look at the combined yards, it's a, it's a little bit closer of a matchup between these two guys. Very great game. I anticipate um, watching a good amount of that one. So looking forward to it. We're both on the Titans plus three at this point, though. All right, next matchup on the docket here. New England Patriots at the Los Angeles Chargers. In Los Angeles, you know, the Chargers are laying four points as the home favorites. The over-under point total is 49 and a half. Now, New England marches into this eight, week eight matchup with some swagger at their back. They just dominated the New York Jets last week. But the fact is the Patriots are three and four on the season, and their three wins are against the Jets, the Texans, and the Jets again. So they really haven't brought it against the best teams of the NFL. They had some close games against Dallas, Tampa Bay. Now they come into this Chargers matchup, a similarly talented roster um, one of the top NFL teams in the um, you know top ten NFL teams this season and most power rankings are the Patriots going to finally get over the hurdle of beating one of the NFL's better teams because if they want to make the playoffs this year this would be an excellent launching pad to start a strong second half for them I think this is a critical game for the Patriots and their season hopes this year. Hats, you know, they couldn't be playing any better right now coming off of that victory against the Jets. Mac Jones finally hitting a, you know, a stretch of, you know, a, a bunch of success through the air. I don't know, though. I still don't, I'm not convinced. I still don't like a, a rookie quarterback. And he, he has had games where he's been very loose with the football as well. So I, I don't know. Are you, are you convinced at this point that the Patriots have it all figured out, Ben? No, no team has it all figured out. But what I would say is the improvement of this team over eight games or the first seven games of the season has been encouraging. Mac Jones started the year off throwing deep passes at one of the league's worst efficiency rates. PFF had him in the bottom. like He was like 30th in PFF deep ball passing rates. Now he's like fifth or sixth in PFF deep ball rates. In the last two weeks, Mac Jones has had, I think, nine deep ball attempts. He's fifth in... Um, I think he's fifth in efficiency PFF's ranking um, on those deep passes. He has two touchdowns on those explosive plays. He's been, they've been unleashing him slowly, but surely. And he's responded very well. And um, on the charter side of the football, we talked, we, we heard this week, Brandon Staley, you know, coming off them pretty embarrassing loss to Baltimore in week six. One of their biggest areas of focus they wanted to address on offense during the bye was the early down play calling and their efficiency on first and second downs. And it was a trend that kind of pulled in or or kind of transitioned from last year because last year we saw this team was terrible on first and second downs and they relied heavily to succeed on third down. Justin Herbert was historically excellent on third downs Mm -hmm. in his rookie season. And that's not a trend you want to bank on. 
And it's really difficult to ask a young quarterback and an offense to just bank on third down success rate. And the currently currently the Chargers are 19th in early down success rate on first and second downs, but they're also seventh in third down success rate. So they're below average on first and second down, and they're well above average on third down. That's not a trend that you want to bank on, you know, for sustained success. And so we'll see if the Chargers address that going forward i don't think it's as simple as pass the ball on first and second down i think it's it's more or less just figuring out better ways to move the football on on those early downs and be creating more high probability throws high probability runs and just be more more efficient with the football and i would definitely keep an eye on that trend in the first half here um, because if you know the chargers got out to a big lead in the first half that's going to be a, it could result in a crooked score here i think the chargers you know they, they lost last year 45 to nothing against the patriots and so there's a, there's a possibility that the chargers come out strong in the first half put a crooked number up in the first quarter first two quarters and the game just never looks that they they never look back and that that's a possibility here but if this game stays close if the Chargers don't necessarily capitalize in the first the first half and the early downs, I think the if the Patriots stay in this game, I think that's going to bode well for them covering this spread. Because the Patriots' strengths on offense bode well for the defensive deficiencies of the Chargers. Chargers are one of the, I think they're the worst rush DVOA. I think they're 32nd. Yeah, they're 32nd in rush DVOA on the season. They're 28th in explosive rushes allowed. And the strength of the New England offense is Damian Harris and tight end passes. And the Chargers defense has allowed the second most fantasy points to opposing tight ends on the season. So the weaknesses of the Chargers defense, that's a very, very strong possibility. Uh, And so I I would expect, you know, some of my best props for this game, Damian Harris over 71 and a half rush yards, Hunter Henry, anytime touchdown score plus 250. The Chargers defense has allowed the fourth most touchdowns to opposing tight ends, five on the season. Hunter Hunter Henry is tied for the third most touchdown scored amongst tight ends. He's got four on the year. He's scored one in each of his last four games. I think there's a good chance that trend continues. Also, Chargers are 32nd in special teams DVOA. This is a trend that's continuing again from last year. They were terrible on special teams last year. The changing in coaching staff did not improve that. They're dead last in special teams. Their kicker, Tristan Vizcaino, is getting replaced by Dustin Hopkins in this one. I don't think a change in kicking is going to completely reverse this trend. New England has a big edge in special teams. They're 12th in DVOA on special teams. So, I think there's a lot of strengths that for the Patriots that bode well against the Chargers. I think this is a good matchup. I'm interested to see how those play out. Um, and, you know, I, I just I, I like the opportunity for a, possibly even a Patriots upset in this game. So Austin Eckler, if he doesn't play especially, I think that's a high possibility. Um, he's a, a critical po- uh, component of that Chargers deep, um, offense. And, um, you know, if Eckler doesn't play, I mean, the Patriots allow the uh, one of the most they allow a lot of receptions to opposing running backs. And so the pass game for the running back um, opposing offenses, opposing offensive running backs against the Patriots has been critical to, um, you know, the way they move the football against the Patriots. If Eckler can't go, that could be a, a big blow for the Chargers. And so I would keep an eye on that as well. Yeah, I mean, I. I think I'm on. I'm on the Chargers still in this one. The Chargers are still Couldn't a top ten you. team for us. We we both have number seven in our rankings right now, and I'm. I, I think I'm a little bit lower on the Patriots than you are. Um, 
Yeah. I have them at 18. You have them at 16. And when I think about like a 10 spot difference in my power rankings, I, I would say that's at least a touchdown line in the game. And so if I'm getting in that minus four and, you know, maybe we have the chargers ranked wrong, you know, after what, two weeks ago, I think they had a bye week last week, uh, that, that huge loss to the, to the Ravens where they were absolutely demolished. I think 34, six, you know, I think that might've been a blip kind of like, I think last week was a blip for the chiefs. I think Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes are both of just this excellent caliber of quarterback where that that's not going to happen twice in a row. Um, so I think yeah. Justin Herbert and this offense gets right, you know, Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, just a fantastic yeah. duo. And if, if the, this passing offense really takes off, I just don't think that the Pats have the juice to keep up with them. Um, so yeah. you're right that Damon Harris might be very effective early on, but if this score goes the wrong way early, he's going to be quickly phased out of the game. He's yeah, not much of a pass catcher and that happens pretty often. And that's the side I'm going to lean more on in this one um, that the chargers are able to get their offense turned around. Yeah. I think Eckler's health is going to play a big role in that. Um, even if he does give it a go, is he hundred percent? We'll have to see. Mm-hmm. Um, no. And I think one of my favorite props as well for this game, the game total started at 47 and a half. It got hammered on the over, um, and it, it rose up to 49 and a half. I actually now at 49 and a half really like the under. And it just kind of bodes well with my Patriots handicap because if, uh, you know, Damien Harris has a big game, he's milking the clock. He's keeping Justin Herbert on the sidelines. Um, you know, each of the last five games between the Patriots and Chargers, you know, this dates back to their San Diego years because they had they don't play um, a whole a ton. And uh, But, you know, the last five games between these two teams, they've gone under. And the Chargers five of the last six home games have gone under. There's going to be a lot of Patriots fans in the stands in Los Angeles. I know this is a home game for the Chargers. Could very well feel like a home game for the Patriots. There's a lot of Boston fans out in LA. We saw in the World Series a couple a few years ago in 2018. There were a lot of Boston fans at Dodger Stadium, and so if they're gonna if they're gonna infiltrate Dodger Stadium like that, I think the Patriots have a good amount of fan base going to uh, this game here for the Chargers. So. I think there's not really much of a home field advantage. I really like the under 49 and a half. Yeah, I think those All two right. things would correlate strongly, so it makes sense. All right, buddy. All right, you're on the Chargers minus four. I got Patriots plus four. Next matchup on the docket here, Tampa Bay Buccaneers taking on the New Orleans Saints, an NFC South battle here. The Bucs are leading four and a half points. The over-under point total is, as well as the last game, 49 and a half Tampa Bay, they're 14 and 1 straight up over the last 15 games. They're 10 and 1 straight up in their last 11 road games. This is a great matchup. And we saw the Saints and, and Bucks have a, a good amount of battles last year. The Saints dominated a good amount of the matchup last last year. And really, if it, if Jared Cook didn't fumble that football in the third quarter and in the NFC's championship game, we could be talking about the Saints as the reigning champions um, this heading to this year. And that was a, a big turnaround in how this, you know, this, these teams, ma- the matchup kind of is perceived now. You know, the Bucks, you know, they, they they adjusted after the bye last week. They go into the playoffs. They roll all the way to the Super Bowl. They beat the Saints in the in the NFC Championship. There's that storyline where this, the, the, the Buccaneers are just the best team in football. But the Saints are going to give them a run for their money, I think, in this game. You know, the Saints are 5-1 straight up and against the spread in their last six games against the Buccaneers. They've been winning this matchup most of the time. And I think this is going to be a closer game than people might think. What are your thoughts here, Connor? 
Oh, see, I, we're seeing it differently this week. I, I'm kind of on the the side of the the juggernaut offense is figuring it out and getting it right. So I'm on the side of uh, Tampa Bay again. Um, you know, if I just look at the last three games for for the Saints, they're coming off a, a, a barely a victory last Monday night against the Seahawks without Russell Wilson. You know, Geno Smith was a the quarterback. They won 13 to 10, and they. They really edged that one out. The offense didn't look good. They weren't moving the ball. And, and Seattle certainly isn't one of the top end defenses of the week. Um, they beat Washington by 11. And then the week before that, they lost to my Giants. So it's certainly not a convincing track record that gives you a lot of confidence in the Saints, you know, a bit up and down. They had huge wins against the uh, the Packers, a big loss, 26 to 7 against the Saints. They beat your Patriots, but you know, it's a, it's a team that I'm not confident in compared to, you know, the, the former Super Bowl champions of last year that, you know, Tom Brady and Tampa Bay. Yeah. And this is like, this is gonna be a great matchup. Both teams in the top seven in, in football outsiders DVOA rank is Tampa Bay is fourth. New Orleans is seventh. Their, their defense is, is third in, in DVOA right now. Their defense has been great this year. Um, the offense is 20th, so there's a little bit of variability there. Um, and, and if, you know, if New Orleans um, does cover this spread, you might want to correlate it with the under as well. Um, but, you know, Ben, I know what it is. I know why I don't like the Saints. It's because I had Alex Collins last week and the person I was playing <laughs> at DK Metcalf. And of course, the Saints basically only gaff of the game. Understandable. Was DK yeah. Metcalf 84 yard touchdown. Meanwhile, they <laughs> held Alex Collins. 19 carries for 36 yards. I mean, it was yeah. brutal watching that one. I had a, I had a small lead yeah. going to the game. So I think that's the issue. I think, I think I was hurt by them and uh, I'm down Un- on the Saints. Understandable. <laughs> Understandable. You gotta be a little bit spiteful with this one. Um, I think this really comes down to look, the bucks, you can't run against that defense. They're first and rush TV away on the year. Um, but that's not going to, that's not going to be a problem for Alvin Kamara, who is heavily involved in the passing game. And so, catches last week, I think. Yeah, he had a, an awesome game against the uh, the Seahawks defense that was trying to stack the box against him, and they did. They prevented him from running the football very well, um, but it resulted in him getting a lot of good touches in the receiving game. I think that we can see an, we can see that again here this week. Um, and really, I think Sean Payton is, is you know at home. They got a Connor's got a Alvin Kamara PSA 10 optic rated rookie card. He's flashing nice and And, preseason uh, (laughs) investment. That's paying off. He was my number one rated running back coming into the year because, you know, we knew Dalvin cook and Christian McCaffrey had uh, injury issues and it it came to show. Now it turns out Derek Henry should have been the number one guy, but Kamara, what a stud. If anyone wants to buy this, shoot me in the DMS. (laughs) (laughs) This is, uh, I'm playing the sharp side here because the saints are, just 28% of the public bets have been placed on the Saints. And it makes sense. You know, Buccaneers on the road, Tom Brady on the road. He's going to get better value because if his, if this was a home game for the Buccaneers, it would be 7.5 to 8.5, uh, to maybe 9 point spread here for the Bucs. And, you know, you're, you're laying just 4.5 points on the road. You know, it, it's enticing for gamblers and it makes sense. And that's the public side. I think that the, the smart side here is is the Saints. They match up well against the Bucks. Their strengths are 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 good against you know the Bucks. The Bucks are um, on offense. You know they're struggling. I don't I don't I don't think this is a good matchup for Leonard Fournette. I think Fournette's going to struggle in this game. Yeah, the Saints D is nasty only, too. Yeah, my only worry is if the Buccaneers get out to a big early lead. Um, that that 
I don't think Jameis Winston is capable of bringing the Saints back from like a double-digit deficit. So really, they need to keep this game close early and just grind it out the rest of the way. Um, is it kind of similar to the the way we broke down that Pats game where if the Chargers kind of get out to an early lead, it's going to be tough for Mac Jones to keep up just like it would be tough for Jameis Winston without yeah. kind of healthy offensive weapons to move the ball efficiently and quickly. We know Alvin Kamara can move the ball down the field, but it can take a long time for those screen passes to develop and make some big plays and you know some notable injuries in this one to talk about michael thomas and his health i uh, i don't think he's going to play this week it looks no, like right he's not. and no, then he's antonio not. brown also likely out but tampa bay were were much more solidified uh in terms of the wide receiver options uh compared yeah. to the rest of the roster on new orleans yeah if gronk plays that does bode well for the uh the bucks as well he looks like he's trending towards that that status so we'll see we'll keep an eye on that i just i have a feeling i think the saints cover i think they keep this within a field goal four and a half is is a, a good spread for them at home um i like the opportunity here for the saints all right last matchup we wanted to highlight dallas cowboys taking on the minnesota vikings this game actually looked better on the surface before we heard the news about dak last uh last night or, or yesterday he looks like he's training in the wrong direction possibly not playing in this game um, there's a possibility he still does. I think they're making a decision today. So keep an eye on that status. If, if he does play, um, you know, Dallas plus three is a pretty, pretty solid value. This line opened up at Dallas minus two before the news with Dak's health kind of came, came to light. Um, so this, this spread has, you know, swung a full five points here now at the Dak Prescott news. Cooper rush is the backup quarterback in Dallas. Minnesota's defense is first in pressure rate this season. So if Cooper rush is behind quarterback. This would be his this would be his first career start. Not what you want to be up against as a uh, a rookie or not rookie quarterback, but a new quarterback, new starting quarterback, um, you know, facing this Minnesota defense that has been getting to the quarterback at a high rate this season. Yeah, I mean, if Minnesota is fully healthy compared to going against Cooper Brush, you'd have to think that a minus three just isn't it. Now, if we've seen what Dallas looks like and their offense looks like when they have a backup quarterback in uh, last year, it was just horrendous without Dak on the field. So I don't know if this team is going to be able to be competitive uh, even close if they have to, you know, toss out a, a backup quarterback, not named Dak Prescott. Yeah. I, I, um, I jumped on the Minnesota minus three line when I saw the, that Dak is kind of trending in, in the wrong direction. Um, and you look at the stats, in this matchup, Minnesota against the spread, um, one point at home against the Cowboys. They are seven and one, seven and one in their last eight games um, at home against Dallas, and they're five and one against the spread in the last six games straight up against Dallas. So, um, you know, Minnesota has been getting the best of, of the Cowboys in these the recent matchups over the last few years, and um, you know the uh, the Cowboys are six and zero oh against the spread this season. So, at some point you know, that's going to start trending in the other direction. Spreads are going to start to correct. You know, this is, this is a team that you, they're not going to go hundred percent against the spread this year. They're a public team, you know, coming to this matchup. They, uh, the public is on Dallas this week. Um, even with Cooper rush, I, even the plus three Cowboys that's are getting crazy. 60. There are 67% of the public bets are on the Cowboys. So um, again, I'm on the sharp side here. I'm taking Minnesota minus three. Yeah, I have to think people don't realize because I myself didn't realize the extent of Dak's injury. I saw the questionable tag, but you know, if it really looks like he's trending in the wrong way, then you know the public opinion is definitely on the wrong side on this one. Um, you know, I, I have to think that a lot of that betting took place when they thought Dak was going to play, considering he put in a few limited practices this week. And you know, this is one that 
if you're planning on betting the Cowboys, I would wait. Um, if you want to jump on Minnesota, you know, obviously a, a healthy roster on offense, Dalvin Cook's likely to play. So um, definitely feel fine come betting on Minnesota now. But if you're planning to bet on the Cowboys, I wouldn't bet it now. I would wait until you know Dak Prescott's going to play or else you're going to be yeah. looking at the wrong side of the scoreboard on Sunday afternoon. Yeah. My worry only here with Minnesota is, you know, Dallas's rushing game is really good. They have, I think their their offensive line is first in adjusted line yards. Their two running backs, Tony Pollard actually ranks first in PFF's running it's grades. Okay. Ezekiel, Ezekiel Elliott is ninth in PFF's rush grade. So two running backs, it's, it's, it's up there of the caliber of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt almost. Um, and, I think this that's that's the biggest worry because if if Cooper Rush is forced to play, play quarterback, the Dallas Cowboys could get a backdoor cover just banking on the run game. But you have to worry about you know Cooper Rush. I don't know much about him. I I, I mean, did, I just don't think I don't think he's going to be you know both playing well against a team that pressures as much as Minnesota does. So if he's anything like Amari Cooper and Cooper Cup, he might be pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> you're trying to combine the two names. That's funny. Oh yeah. Um, all right, buddy. So you're on. You're leaning Dallas plus three. Um, but I'm just leaning sure that way it. if Dak is playing. But I'm not going to bet it. I'm not going to bet the Dallas line. Um, yeah. You know, before I get the injury status update today, at least. So yeah. Otherwise, right, you gonna, know, I'll, Minnesota slam it. Yeah, I'm taking Minnesota minus three. All right. Let's dive into um, before before we dive into our DFS lineups. Wanted to just mention I'm going to get the rest of our picks against the spread up on allthingsanalysis.com later today. Um, and I apologize last week; just got really caught up with just a lot of busy things with the job, and my yeah. wife started a new job, and we've been really busy. Um, actually, did really well picks against the spread last week, so I apologize to our listeners; I wasn't able to get those up for you. Um, I think got the best bets out there, guys, though. Yeah, I owe you guys a couple good ones this week. I, last week, you know, I went two for three on the best bets. Philadelphia was the only miss I had, but I, I nailed on a couple of them. Um, and I would definitely keep an eye on that on the website this week as well. So um, we're, we're going to do our best to keep that going the rest of the way this season. Yep, absolutely, brother. All right, Connor, let's dive into some daily fantasy. Um, you know, a tough slate for DFS. I was having a hard time linking up the values. I, I kept mm-hmm. coming up with either not enough salary or too much left over. I ended up in my my lineup. I'm going with I have two hundred dollars left over, and I think I'm just gonna I'm gonna bank on it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna cash it in. I wish they would give me like like two, like two points for having two two hundred dollars. You know, just give me like you know give me a little bit of fantasy yeah, juice. Yeah, turn because, in some cash for points. Yeah. But uh, they don't, that, unfortunately, that that's not how it works. So, Connor, read me off, uh, read us off your 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 DFS plays of the week. Or actually, sorry, I stepped on your toes. Give us the the other results from last week. Uh, I don't actually. Sorry about that. Okay. All right, no worries. I think we both missed out last week, right? I don't think we both. I don't think either of us cashed. No, it was a busy week. I had a Halloween party, so we didn't give that next level of detail into our DFS lineups. But I've been ruminating over this one for a while now, so I'm pretty excited with what we're right, going to come up with. All right, let's get your lineup for the week. All right, starting off at quarterback, I went big. I'm going with Josh Allen against the Miami Dolphins. Uh, this is, you know, a, a divisional game. And the, my, the Miami Dolphins just look horrible this season. One of the uh, biggest dogs, one of the you're killing me smalls teams of the season because they had high expectations after kind of turning it around last year. And Josh Allen just playing like an MVP. He's absolutely on fire through the air, through the ground. He has Emmanuel Sanders, Cole Beasley, Stephon Diggs, both running backs are decent pass catchers. Love, love, love his opportunity. So I'm paying up 8,100. 
The next running back I'm going with, Jonathan Taylor, the guy we highlighted earlier. He's just been on an absolute tear. 100 yards combined through the air on the ground past four games each. A lot of touchdowns finally. So slow start to the season. But when he gets on a roll like he did last year, he he was capable of winning fantasy leagues. Uh, and so I'm hoping he's capable of willing to su- winning the Sunday Millie Maker for me. Uh, Kenneth Gainwell at $5,000 is my RB2. Miles Sanders likely not to play this week. Uh, Kenneth Gainwell should see a high start snap share. He kind of split the ball evenly last week with Boston Scott, but it also seems like he gets more, some more of the high value targets through the air as the pass catching running back. I like Kenneth Gainwell to get more involved as the Eagles try to commit more to the running game as well. They saw some success early on with Miles Sanders last week, and I think they do want to pound the ball and and kind of get it out of Jalen Hurts' hands too often because he's taking a lot of chances and it's hurting their team. Uh, My next play at wide receiver is Cooper Cup. I just had to find a way to get this guy in my lineup he's leading the league in receiving yards he has nine touchdowns he is the bell of the ball okay cooper cup is a guy that should just be in every single lineup you know um if, i think if we had to redraft at wide receiver it's either him or Devonte number one overall probably which is kind of crazy when you think about where he went in drafts number two i'm going with a little uh correlation with michael pittman so i have jonathan taylor and pittman i'm kind of predicting that this is going to be a high scoring game so i do like the tennessee side but i couldn't fit derrick henry and cooper cup uh so i'm going with the pittman side with jonathan taylor kind of the the discount double check value side compared to if you were to stack aj brown and derrick henry which i like as well um and then at my wide receiver three i had to pay down somewhere to get those guys in my lineup and it was jamal agnew uh somebody you might be saying who's that well he's a jacksonville jaguar and over the last couple of games he's actually exceeded double digit points uh six receptions and five receptions so somebody who i think at 3700 is a decent value play my tight end is ricky seals jones while logan thomas remains out he's been highly involved in that offense in washington uh and then i'm going with emmanuel sanders to stack with josh allen uh emmanuel sanders has been highly utilized around the red zone absolutely love him for for only 5400 this week he's averaging 15 fantasy points per game and they're going against the 30th position uh miami dolphins against wide receivers and then last but not least my defense is the washington football team only 2100 uh they're going against denver and so to me this is just a value defensive play of the week you know washington hasn't performed well this year but i don't think denver is the type of team to put up huge numbers uh you know teddy bridgewater was pretty injured if drew lock ends up coming in the game i have Absolutely love that opportunity. So Washington football team at 2,100. I like it. I like it. All right, buddy. Let me read you off my lineup for the week. I'm going to kick it off with, this is one of the highest point totals of the week. I'm going with Carson Wentz facing off against the Tennessee Titans. Titans have allowed the fifth most fantasy points in DraftKings lineups um, to opposing quarterbacks. Just $5,700, my value play of the week here at quarterback. Carson Wentz, he's been playing a lot better in recent weeks. He's, uh, I think, fifth in PFF passing grade over the last few weeks. Uh, I think the last four weeks, he's fifth in PFF passing grade. He's been playing a lot better, starting to pick up the the, the Frank Reich offense a lot lot more. I would actually, you know, he had, he had a down week last week. But I would actually kind of cross that one off. You know, they were playing in San Francisco in monsoon conditions. Aside from that, he's been playing really well lately. I like the opportunity here against a Tennessee defense that is incredibly weak against opposing quarterbacks in fantasy football. All right. My running back is similarly, you know, I'm going with Jonathan Taylor. 
another another Colt here, seventy two hundred dollars. Jonathan Taylor, I think, is in store for a big game. Already highlighted him earlier in the podcast. He's been excellent, over a hundred yards total in each of his last four games. He's been dominating. He's second in total rush yards on the season behind just Derrick Henry. Only seven, only seventy seventy two hundred dollars for a guy that could finish first in the uh, RB one category this week. The uh, Tennessee Titans are allowing a good amount of points to opposing running backs this year. Um, And I think that trend continues here for Jonathan Taylor this week. My RB2, James Robinson. James Robinson facing off against the Seattle Seahawks. If I uh, if I told you who's the the team, the offense with the number one rank in rush to VOA, I think you probably guessed maybe like what the Titans Titans or Browns. Browns, you know. Nope, it's the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jacksonville Jaguars are first in rush DVOA on the season. The Seattle Seahawks are giving up the second most fantasy points in DraftKings lineups to opposing running backs this year. I like the opportunity for James Robinson to have a big game against Seattle this week. And if Urban right. Meyer had his way, the Jacksonville Jaguars would not be the number one running team because he would <laughs> much prefer to run Carlos Hyde than James Robinson. But James Robinson, yeah, he's, he's been an absolute good. stud, a great value. I love that. 66 times. Yeah. Nice pick. All right, my wide receiver one spot, Stefan Diggs. Diggs is $8,100. The reason why I went with Diggs here is I couldn't afford Cooper Cup, and the Miami Dolphins are allowing the third most fantasy points to opposing wide receivers on the season in DraftKings lineups. Um, Stefan Diggs, you know, I wanted to get a piece of the Josh Allen pie without having to pay up for it. I think Diggs is in store for a big game this year. I think this could be his best game of the season. Um, just sixty, just $8,100. I think he's like the fourth or fifth price wide receiver on the week. Uh, I really like the value here. I, I'm paying up for a guy who I think could finish as a wide receiver one on the week. And then I'm going with the stack for the Colts. Michael Pittman Jr. I think you had Pittman as well, right? Yeah, we both had Taylor and Pittman, man. You know, we didn't look at each other's lineups before making these. So that's that's pretty awesome that we, you know, we see it similarly. And yeah. I had Sanders, you had Diggs. So we're, we're picking pieces of the same games if everybody notices. Definitely. 5,300. Tennessee Titans allowing the most fantasy points to opposing wide receivers in DraftKings. 343.2 points um, for DraftKings wide receivers um, against the Titans defense this year. The next team up is the Washington football team under them, and they're uh, almost 20 points below them total. So I really like the opportunity for Pittman. I like the, the Wentz-Pittman-Taylor stack. I think that's one of the better values of the week this year. I mean, yeah, this week. I like that um, a lot. So uh, Pittman, just $5,300. I, I, I think, especially if T.Y. Hill, and I think he's trending towards not playing this uh, this week. I think that's a good opportunity for Pittman to have a big, big game. Um, just $5,300 is a great value. And uh, right. remind me, Par- Paris Campbell's still on IR as well. Yes, he is. Yeah. So, that injury's going to keep him out for a while. So Yeah. P- P- Pittman definitely inherits a lot of those deep shots. Uh, as we saw last week, he came down with one in, in, a, in a rainy game. So definitely love that. Yeah. All right. My wide receiver three. This is my biggest risk of the week. I'm going with Jerry Judy, forty nine hundred dollars. Look, Judy's got he he might not even play this game. He came up sore after one of his practices this week. This is the one that I, you know I might have to pivot off of. But if he plays, I really like the forty nine hundred dollar value. The guy was incredible in week one before he got hurt. He's an excellent wide receiver, someone that the Broncos drafted highly two years ago. They want to keep him involved in the offense. I just think this is a great matchup for him. The Washington defense allows the second most uh, points to opposing wide receivers this year. Um, I already said the Titans were number one. Washington's number two. Um, this is a great matchup for Judy. I think he comes back. If he plays, 
in a big way. I think he's going to have a, a, a great game against Washington this week, so long as he comes back off the IR injury. So we'll keep an eye on that. So if Judy goes out, do you pivot to his teammate Tim Patrick, who's only two hundred dollars cheaper? That's a, that's definitely a consideration. Um, you know, if anything, though, I think if Judy sits, the biggest boost goes to Noah Fant at the tight end position. But keep an eye on it. Um, I might have to make some adjustments, and, and I'll let you know. My tight end on the week. This is one of my better values as well. Pat Fryermuth for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Fryermuth has got, gotten over seven targets in each of his last three games. He's been heavily involved in the passing attack. He uh, he has the nickname uh, Mini Gronk. You know he got that at, at uh, Penn State, so he's not necessarily getting that pedigree here in the NFL. Um, he caught a ton of touchdowns in college, and um, I'm not saying he's Mini Gronk, but he's thirty six hundred dollars. His uh, counterpart on his on the same offense, Eric Ebron, is out on this game. He's going to be someone that the the the, tight, the Steelers are going to need to go to this week often against the Cleveland Browns. The Browns are allowing one of the I think they're they're in the bottom ten in points allowed to opposing uh, fantasy tight ends this year. So uh, this could be a good matchup here for Fryermuth. I think I think he's going to get a good workload. He's only $3,600. He's a lot cheaper than a lot of the other tight ends on this year, this week's slate. In my flex, I'm going to go with Damian Harris. I already talked about this earlier on the pod. I like Harris's matchup here against the Chargers. Chargers are 28th in explosive run uh, runs allowed on defense this year. I think Damian Harris has a big game this week against the Chargers. He's going to be heavily involved in the Patriots' offensive game plan. He's been, you know, PFF's one of the highest graded running backs on the season. He's an excellent advanced stats guy. I think Harris is going to reflect that in, uh, you know, his scores this week. The the Chargers' uh, run defense is 32nd in DVOA. This is just a, a tasty matchup for a running back that is continuing to trend in the upwards direction. I think Harris is in a great uh, matchup here in week eight. My defense, the, the Detroit Lions, you know, it's the, they're only $2,300. I think the Lions actually have a chance to win this football game outright. And that's my point here. I think that the Lions are, are this could be one of the, they only have a handful of games left that they could win. Really this your upset of the week? Possibly. I, you know, I, this might be partly, you know, the Eagles have, have, I've had them twice in my best bets column this year. They burned me twice. Mm-hmm. And this might be just a little bit out of spite, but the Lions have a, a good amount of difficult games on the rest of their schedule. This is one of the few handful of games they have left. They have, they'll have an opportunity to win. And spreads only three and a half. I, I bet they're close to 10. Um, they're underdogs by close to 10 points in the rest of their matchups, uh, the rest of the season. So, you know, they're going to pull out all the stops. I think they are. there's good opportunities for turnovers here for the Lions. Um, only $2,300. If they win this football game, the defense is going to have to come out big. And, uh, you know, the defense has been getting decent points aside from last week. They only scored, they scored zero points last week against the Rams. But they had, I think, like five or seven points in each of the last five games prior to that. So keep an eye on that with the Lions. Um, you know, I just, I, I have a feeling about them this week. And, you know, they're, they're a, a, a good field team. You know, Dan Campbell has been, I'm Getting rooting that. for them, you know. They're, yeah, obviously, again, Khalif Raven from Holy Cross is on them, so we're always supporting him. But the Lions and Dan Campbell, it's a fun team, and you know, you, we kind of want to root for Jared Goff a little bit. You know, he's discarded, and it's always fun to root for the underdogs. So go Lions! Yeah, I totally, like it. Let's totally. go. All right, buddy. That's going to do it for a DFS Lions on the week. Any other values you you wanted to highlight? Off the oh, top of I, your head, did you have any? I, I absolutely, and, and I'm going to come out with a, a DFS article today as well. But there definitely are some values this week. Um, 
Miles Gaskin at 5,600, I think is a value. Malcolm Brown, his running mate is out this week, which means he's going to get a high carry load. Uh, we saw last like week one. this reflected with 15 carries, uh, his season high. Uh, and he also had 17.7 uh, fantasy points. So at 5,600, I think there's a lot of value there. Um, T Higgins is 50. I like this one. I was going to say this. I love T Higgins this week. He had, I, I believe 15 targets last week. He um, did. He only 40. came up 43% of the team target share yeah. last week. More if than Jamar Chase. If you're going to give me 15 T Higgins targets, maybe 10, absolutely for 5,200. I mean, the, the price per target there is just fantastic. You're not going to find mm. a better deal on the slate on Sunday. So T Higgins is absolutely a value for me. Um, in addition to that, uh, we, we mentioned Diggs and we mentioned Sanders. I think Cole Beasley's healthy this week and, you know, has just as good of an opportunity uh, to catch a touchdown or, or be effective because the bills are just such a high scoring team. So those are a few other guys I wanted to highlight as value plays. Yeah. I went with um, in my tight end spot, I went with Friar Muth, obviously, but I think that the, the two best values in terms of bang for your buck, and if you want to get like a middle tier tight end, I think Tyler Higby playing the Houston Texans. The Texans are are turning into like, remember a couple of years ago when it was like when the tight ends facing the Arizona Cardinals, just put them in your lineup. You yeah. don't care who it is. The Texans are becoming that team this year. They're giving up an absurd amount of points to opposing tight ends. Higby is in a great matchup this week. He's uh, you know, t- he's barely in the top ten. Pri- I don't think he is in the top ten and priced out um this week for for tight ends and DraftKings. Forty five hundred dollars. It's a great value. Also Hunter Henry. I already highlighted him. Um, mm-hmm. I think he catches another touchdown this week. He's forty two hundred dollars. I think he has really good values on the week. Yeah. I, I like your Jerry Judy play too. I think that's sneaky because that IR tag on him will keep a lot of people away. Um, but that doesn't mean he's not going to be able to be activated off the roster and play on Sunday. So it could be yeah. a low ownership Jerry Judy game just because of that tag. Somebody that yeah. potentially you could have in your lineup if he's active. And soon as he comes back the next week after he's going to, his price is going to go up guaranteed. Yep. He's going to be, if he comes back this week, next week, he'll be priced at at least 5,500, 5,600 minimum. So yeah, Michael yeah. Pittman's way too much of a deal too. I think both of those guys shoot up in price after this week. Totally, totally. All right, buddy, read us off your lineup one more time before we close it out. Absolutely. All right. So at quarterback, I have Josh Allen. At running back, Jonathan Taylor, Kenneth Gainwell. Then I have Cooper Cup, Michael Pittman, Jamal Agnew. And then Ricky Seals-Jones at tight end. My flex is Emmanuel Sanders. And then the Washington football team at defense. All right. I got Carson Wentz, Jonathan Taylor, James Robinson, Stefan Diggs, Michael Pittman Jr., Jerry Judy, Pratt, Pat Fryermuth, Damian Harris, and the Lions defense. That's going to do it here for our DFS segment on Vicious Talk with Benny P. Connor, any last words before we wrap it up? Sounds like money, baby. I love it. Let's go. All right. Definitely want to steer everybody towards allthingsanalysis.com. we got a lot of content coming your way. We've been doing really well in our coverage for the NFL season. It's only going to get easier the more data we get under our belt. We've been doing a lot of work on our data analysis, and uh, we're going to share all that we can with our listeners and readers. Go to allthingsanalysis.com to catch all of our uh, um, our work there, and, and you'll be thankful you did. We got a lot of fantasy football and gambling help to, to help all of our all, all of our followers. You know, we've been doing good. 
Yep, absolutely. You know, the, the content on there, the the best bets give you some great ideas for how to combo some of the games, how to how to create correlation, you know, against the spread. We've both been doing well. And then DFS, even if our lineups, our main lineups don't cash, the value plays in the long shots seem to have been hitting. You know, we called out that huge Kadarius Tony game. So that's, you know, things like that where we're trying to add value on the margins, the, the little differentiators that other people aren't going for. They're not doing that next step. And so you can get all that at allthingsanalysis.com. Connor, what's the phrase? We don't report the news. We analyze it. Is that, is that the yeah. slogan? <laughs> yeah. All right, buddy. That's going to do it here. Episode 89 in the books. That's going to do it. Vicious Talk with Benny P. Please go to your, all your podcast platforms and give us five stars. If you don't think we're a five-star podcast, give us a, a, a message on Instagram and give us a start-sit question for your fantasy team. I promise you we're going to do all the analysis to get it right. And uh, if we get it right, I I, I want your your word. We're gonna get you. We're gonna get you a five star review. Exactly. Send you know if you don't if you don't trust us, if you don't believe us. Send us your roster. Test let us, us test let us. us set your roster for one week, and you'll be excited because we're gonna optimize the crap out of it, and you're gonna win. And then you're gonna give us right. five stars. I like it. I like it, buddy. All right, vicious talk with Benny P. That's gonna do it here. Don't forget to ask yourself at the end of the day: Are you vicious? <laughs>